Hunter, stop. you ready? No. Can you do it? No. Um, no, I can't. You go out tired to see me face. Can't get me out of the race. Oh man, you say I'm in your face. Then you draw back card. Draw back card. I make you draw back card. I make you draw back card. Propaganda spreading over my name. Say you wanna bring another life to shame. Oh man, you just a that you know bad card I want my baby back 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 baby stop it you go I want my baby back baby back baby back baby back baby back baby back back I want my baby you have to say back I want my baby I'll tap you when you I want my baby back 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 I want my baby back baby back come on dude you know the top part do you know the top part I want my baby back baby back baby back baby back baby back baby back baby <laughs> just do it, man, please. I can't fucking finish it. I'm just keep picturing the hundreds of people listening to this. They're not listening. <laughs> All right, listening. I feel like this would be like a good sleep podcast. We could just do an hour of. Uh, well, I just want to do the part, just please. All right, all right. Last time. This is the last time. This is the last time we're gonna try. Okay. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm gonna get it. I don't think I can do the top part. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, 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 baby back. Barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce. Not yet. That was good. We think that's good enough. That was the best we're getting. We're done. I agree with that. Uh huh. Come on, everybody. Let's care. El pussy cat. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Aloe Recovery Center. Now, before I do this ad, I have a question to ask you. Are you a drug addict? Are you using? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you willing to go to any lengths to get better? And by any lengths, I mean go to California. If this describes you and you don't know where else to go, then you should consider going to Aloe Recovery. Aloe Recovery is this amazing rehab in sunny Southern California created by our friend Bob Forrest, his friend Evan Haynes, and their friend Bob. It was created as a place for addicts to receive compassionate care. Their motto is frickin' compassion, not control. So if you're tired of getting disrespected at treatment, which Bob Forrest was and which, frankly, I was, then Aloe might be the place for you. They have amenities including surfing, sound bath meditation, fucking sweat lodge. You can sweat all that shit out of you. Um... 
They have uh, an amazingly comfortable detox. So if you're fucking sick as hell uh, on highly addictive drugs, the detox is pretty comfortable. And I know that's very important. Mostly, if you're fucked and you want a place to go, you should check out Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you and the Dopey Nation. If you guys want Dopey to remain happy, joyous, and free, consider giving to the Dopey Patreon account. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. And giving money to the Dopey Podcast Patreon account makes Dopey better. It lets me buy more stuff. It lets me put more work into it. It lets me pay designers to make art. It, it lets me pay musicians to make music. It, it makes Dopey better. If you want to give a buck a month, that's great. If you want to give two, that's great. If you're crazy enough to give me $100 a month, I'm not going to say no. So that's Dopey Patreon. If you guys want stickers, if you guys want hats, just Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. And um, enough ads. Here's the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and I'm Dave. And this episode is a kind of heavy episode. It's a very important episode. It's a very special episode. Uh, one year ago this week, our friend Chris overdosed and died, and I wanted to do a tribute to him, so this is that. It makes me think about, uh, you know, how tricky it is to make the show without Chris. It makes me think how much I miss Chris in my life. And uh, it makes me think about how easy it is to die uh, when you're doing drugs, when you're shooting drugs, when you're getting fentanyl or heroin, you don't know what's in it. And uh, of course, Chris had been in recovery for four years. So it makes me think how easy it is uh, to slip up. And that, you know, like, your next shot can be uh, your last, as they say. It makes me think all of that stuff, but it also just makes me sad because uh, making the show was so much fun with Chris, and um, that's why I put those songs at the front. I just wanted you guys to remember how stupid and fun and pure uh, the show was and how innocent it was and how innocent Chris was and, uh, and what a, a lovely person he was and like uh, he's a great friend. So, in honor of Chris, for this episode, I have a bunch of his friends, a bunch of the guys who were at The Wake last year, if you guys heard that episode. We have uh, his sponsor, Dylan, his friend Colin, his friend Alex, his friend uh, Mark, and Ted, and uh, Ted is also his friend, Um, and they basically just tell stories about Chris and what he meant, and, uh, you know, it, it was very meaningful. I'm actually upstate right now. I'm at my dad's house uh, in upstate New York. It's like fucking 100 degrees. And um, I drove to Great Barrington this week to to sit with them and to record a show for you guys. So that's meaningful to me. And uh, being on vacation, I kind of felt disconnected from you guys. And um, actually somebody, uh, Kevin in Twitter, was like, yo, where's Dave at? Like, meaning like he felt my disconnection. And uh, it just made me uh, appreciate what we have. You know, uh, Dopey, is it means so much to me when I, he- I hear so m- from so many people and I hear so many good things and I hear some bad things. Some dude just fucking 
emailed me saying that the show is too self-referential and self-absorbed, you know, but whatever. That's the show. What am I going to do? Um, the point is that Dopey is very special to me. It seems to be very special to a bunch of you. And I think the reason is it's part of the reason we did the show in the first place, which is to show the dumbest shit we had done and that we could be sober and that we can laugh about it. And that, uh, and we don't judge how you live or what you do or if you still want to get high. You do what you do. The whole point of Dopey was for me and Chris to show you guys that we could be happy in recovery, that we had done all the drugs in the world, that we had fucking relapsed, we had OD'd, we had been to jail, uh, we had seized, we had lost our families, we had lost our friends, but we could get sober and we could laugh about the dumb shit we had done and we could be happy in recovery. That was the point. And here I am alone doing the show because Chris something happened because he's a drug addict and uh, I think he forgot how to stay sober and he forgot how dangerous it was and he overdosed and he died and he's gone and I still make the show and you guys still listen to the show and the spirit of Dopey is very much alive and, uh, and, and his absence is a huge piece of the show in itself. So I just want to thank you guys for being a part of this thing. I wish Chris was still here. There's nothing I can do about that, and that's just the fucking truth of addiction. Uh, I want this show uh, to be a remembrance of Chris and how much uh, people cared about him, and I want you guys to get a glimpse into who he was, and that's the purpose of this show. So here's me and Dylan and Alex and Colin and Ted and Mark uh, remembering Chris. I hope you guys like it. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And this week marks uh, a year since Chris died. So I actually got in my car. I was on vacation with my family at my dad's house upstate. And I drove to Great Barrington, which proved to be a, a very scary drive for me because I'm not a very good driver. Anyway, I got Alex and Dylan and Mark and Colin and Ted, who are some of Chris's very, very closest friends, to, uh, to do a little tribute to our friend Chris. So welcome back to the show, everybody. What's up? Hey. hey. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks, yeah. Dave. Hey, you're welcome, guys. Now, I'm going to start with Alex, because you have to know something about Alex. I'm sure you guys know a lot about Alex that I don't know, but one thing about Alex that I do know is that, and I don't know if you know this, basically every time Chris and I did the show, we would be actually checking the mics, and if we had somebody calling in, Chris, before we would do the show, would call Alex. And he would call Alex where we were, and we would record you as the sound check of the show. Did you know that? I kind of. I remember getting called a bunch of times, but... Yeah. There's another thing. There's another thing. That people who want me to have a co-host... Alex was on the show like once or twice, years and years ago. And people, random strangers to you, say, what about that kid Alex? Can you believe that? That's, I can't believe it. Is that not beautiful? It's beautiful. So what do you think? No. <laughs> no, I don't want you to co-host the show. What do you think about the fact that uh, I think the reason that you were so good on the show is because you were so close with Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew how much the show meant to Chris, and it, the show at the in the early stages of it was essentially just an extension of mine and Chris's conversations on the daily, you know, which is what I kind of think it was with you and him as well, so... Yeah. And and how and like I know that when he died, like uh, 
you know, is traumatic for you. And you, and you, we talked about it the other day when you were talking about like what life has been like uh, since he died, or what more like what it was like being friends with him. You know what I mean? Like what around Great Barrington and recovery and like the you know, it's depressing, but hopes and dreams and all that shit. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> you told me some beautiful stuff, man. Yeah, and, uh, I don't. It's I don't know. It's tough to articulate something like that. Um, just in the moment, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that I, I try to look for Chris in like everyday, you know, everyday scenarios, like in different moments throughout the day. And um, I guess something that was pretty cool recently. Um, I haven't had like I haven't felt like a ton of success in like looking for him and like feeling a connection with him. But recently, um, me and my fiance were out in Rhode Island and we were uh, we were camping and we went to the beach and um, I, I had I guess I haven't been like to the ocean since Chris passed and um, I was like just like in the waves and stuff and I was thinking about him and some good times that we had and uh, I don't know you know and I was like thinking like. It, like, is Chris really, like, a part of everything now, you know? Like, is he, like, you know, super meta? Like, is he, like, is his molecules or whatever, like, his essence, like, a part of everything now? Is, like, kind of what I've been trying to look at it as. And, like, in the ocean for, like, the brief, like, maybe half an hour I was in the ocean or whatever, like, I did feel that, like, super strong connection to him. And, like, it was great, you know? Because most of the time, anyway, it's... It's like going around the town here, you know, and uh, and just thinking about all the times like we had and all, you know, we used to go all these places together and do so much together that it's it was it's tough in the, and it's tough in the beginning. And it's still tough now to like something simple like going to the gym. Is you look over and you see him on the elliptical, you know, and yeah, Chris is so funny. I always think about that when ever anybody's ever on the elliptical or talks about an elliptical. It's like he was the only person I knew who who talked about it like he was riding the elliptical. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't ride the elliptical. It's not a thing, you know. And he that was his that was his exercise. Like, dude, that was his fucking whole will like reason for being. It was, and he would go on the elliptical so he could watch Law and Order. He would like time it specifically. Man, in his sweats, you know, with like the tube socks over the, yeah. with the holy, the holy Miles Davis shirt. Yeah, Chris was probably one of the most consistent gym goers that I knew. But like low key, like an, like an elderly exerciser, where he would just do the lowest amount of effort, but he would go daily, so he felt good about himself. He always said he needed to sweat. Chris's whole like he was like, I need to get a good sweat. He would always say that. Yeah. So when he worked at the needle factory, I would wait for him to get out at like 11 o'clock. He'd come home. We'd eat Ben and Jerry's. We'd watch Walking Dead. And then we'd go um, over. It was like an overnight 24-7 gym. And we would go there after eating Ben and Jerry's and work out until like 3 in the morning. I also want to mention that the pants that he was eating that Ben and Jerry's in that he went to work out and he referred to as his eating pants. (laughs) <laughs> he actually when we would record the show he would wear those pants he would come to manhattan wearing his like khakis and his brooks brothers outfit which was like his intern outfit and he would get to the house and he would take off his pants and put on his eating pants to record the yeah show. he would literally sometimes come home with like takeout and before he ate it he would say like hold on i gotta put on my eating pants and would he, he would, like, really go, do that yeah like no dead serious yeah. It was always, I have to slip into something more comfortable. And, like, go <laughs> to his bedroom. I mean, Chris, uh, it's funny. 
Because obviously, like, whoever listens to the show has this feeling of who Chris was. And Chris was all the things he was on the show. He was charming. He was super smart. He was ridiculously funny. He did ridiculous things. But his essence was so much more. You know what I mean? Like, he was just like... It's like it's so weird to me to to be here because something inside of me that makes me sad about it, I mean, besides the fact that he's dead, is like when I pulled up into Great Barrington, you see the GB and you see all the nice shit. It's a nice fucking town. And it's like part of me was like if he hadn't if he had stayed here, this wouldn't have happened. Do, do, do you guys ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, I for sure do. I guess you never know what would have happened. I know that both times, you know, Chris, yeah, he referred to this place as like the source. It was so important for him, and he did really well when he was here. And both times that, you know, he was here for the first time around when I met Chris, we met in Mountainside like eight years ago. He was sober for a few years and eventually got this job in New York, went to work at a sober house in New York. And so it was after like years of sobriety here in the Berkshires and he went to New York and then things fell apart, went to shit. I kind of told the story last time I was on about, you know, when Chris relapsed, eventually came back to the Berkshires, we called the cops and brought him back to rehab. And then he came back here again and did good for another few years. And then he, you know, went to Boston, went to school. And so, I mean, who knows if he would have stayed sober or not had he stayed here, but he certainly, he did really well here. Right. And what about, I mean, another thing for me, cause I, I straddle, um, you know, grief and I get angry and I feel sad. I, I go through that. I, I feel sad and then angry and then grief. Like, and I get angry because when I listen to the show, Chris really, like, preaches recovery on the show. He, re- he preaches, like, what you have to do and why you have to do it. And, and like, I don't know. It just it makes me crazy to... Th- I mean, I guess that's par for the course when you work with addicts in general, right? You see somebody doing well. They don't stay doing well every time, right? Yeah. Dylan? What's your take on yeah, this, Dylan? Yeah, no, of course, man. There's You're just looking at me nodding. I need you. I need Dude, you. I totally agree, man. And I don't know. This, all, this is, like conceptualizing this year after Chris is so much bigger than my little fucking mind can handle right now. And it's like the same things of anger and grief and also remembering him with joy and fondness and then being here with all the people that were closest to him. Um, and yeah, dude, I'm fucking like, he seems to have been in retrospect, one of the, and I think we knew one of the sickest, like the, absolutely one of my favorite clinicians ever used to say he had a virulent strain of addiction. Right. And that like the second he was disconnected from, Either his, like, whatever his, his treatment plan, lack of, for lack of a better word, seemed to be, like, he just fucking veered off the rails so fast. And, like... Yeah, and, and he was somebody, and I guess this is how a lot of, like, addicts work, is that when he was connected, when he was doing the shit he had to do, he was so good. And he was so good at actually maintaining that routine. I remember when I first lived with him, he was working, I'm sure he's talked about this, he worked at BD, that needle, that syringe-producing factory. And he was working these, like overnight shifts these horrible hours this horrible fucking job going to meetings every day like he was he was just so good at like when he had a system down chris was really fucking good at doing it just like when he was working out all the time like he was really good and then that kind of gets taken away and things fall to shit and when he's doing it like chris is somebody who is capable of achieving like such high you know good things in life like he had such a high potential and then yeah so i don't know it's, it's just crazy one of the things he had said on um you know, one of the episodes, kind of 10 episodes out. I don't know if he was relapsing. I don't, I can't believe he was relapsing when he said it. 
but he was talking about the last time he had fucked it up and what was different. And he was like, well, I wasn't really going to meetings. I was kind of just hanging out with my girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what are you doing now? And he goes, well, I'm not really going to meetings, but I'm going to work. And like, it was just such a parallel, but he didn't see it. And like, I just wonder what happened, you know, like when it slipped back in, when he thought he could get away with it, if he thought he could get away with it. Like, because, you know, we were doing a show about addiction and recovery and we were talking about staying clean on a weekly basis. We were hearing from, you know, many people in, in you know, America and over in the world who would write Chris and I with questions about how we dealt with this or that. And Chris responded to most of them. I look at, at old emails now and I see Chris's responses and they're all about like working a program and what he did and what how he changed and, and, and all of these things. And then somehow the bottom dropped out and, and we didn't see it. Or, or when we saw it, he was so quick to cover, cover it up, we believed him. And, uh, and that's really scary. You know, it's just, it's a scary, scary, and, and, and obviously it's fucking sad because he was our friend, you know? Anybody who has to, I mean, Colin, what do you think? What do you, you got anything on this one? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a surprise for me. I spent, I was with him a week before it happened out in Boston, and I just, there's always that feeling of, like, because of what happened the last time in Ted and I's apartment, um, the last time he relapsed, there was always this, like... Tell that story. Just just tell that story. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he went to... the th- So, me, Ted, and Chris, we met we met in rehab eight years ago. Um, and we just became, like, this... We became this unit, you know? Um, the three of us just stuck together, and we're, like, from completely different parts of of the uh, the country different stories different ages but like there was just like some type of connection that like brought us together and we all had this like this drive in some way to like to make this work and to like get get out of where we were um and we helped each other out you know um so we lived together uh, eventually he moved to brooklyn um r- running the the sober houses the sober house down there and um and it didn't work out for him. And he. But before his relapse, he was he was like the three of you were all about recovery together. It was the thing you were into. Yeah, I mean, I mean besides it, eating and exercising. And stuff. Yeah, Recover- and we. I mean, we all had we the three of us had our different approaches with that, and it, and it seemed to to work for us. And um, and yeah, something. I mean, he he moved he moved on, and that was like an exciting thing. It's an exciting to see friends who are sober like move on and and like and and grow and that's that's how we saw it you know I mean he was running a sober house you know like that like when you're in early recovery and somebody offers you that like that you perceive that as like this positive thing and it was you know um but yeah it didn't work out and he ended up back in our apartment um and kind of like what Dylan said that like extreme strain of addiction and we heard the stories we heard the dopey stories on the back porch at the rehab but like we never saw it and that's the thing like when you when you meet people in treatment in AA you hear the stories and it's hard to like put that together until you see it in front of your own eyes you know and we saw it and right in our faces and uh 
yeah, we, I mean, we had to call the cops and we were, it was scary. It was a scary thing and it became real, you know? Right. I mean, I, I had heard every story and, uh, I never, you know, I, I never used with Chris. I never got high with Chris. He, you know, he, he wanted me to get high with him. Like on one of the times where he was using and I wasn't using, but then we did the show and it was like, I just took it for granted. I was like, we're sober. And like when he was not sober, I just thought he wasn't interested in doing the show anymore. I just thought he had so many other things to do. And that's what I was, I was looking at basically. And, um, you know, it reminds me of the time where, uh, you know, and it's, it's like even to, to, to bring this up among you guys, because like we never talked about it in person. Maybe we talked about it after his wake. But when, when Ryan called me, because Chris had called Dylan and thought he was talking to me or whatever, and then we were all sure that something was going on, and then Chris lied his ass off, and we all accepted it because Chris was so busy. And how easy it is for an addict, you know, smart, dumb, whatever, to fly under the radar. I just wonder, with, with this whole thing, like... I guess nothing else could have happened because this is what happened. But, like, I guess, I mean, I, I'm lost. In, in the, in well, the I guess, I mean, what you just said, that, like, you, you know, we, we, we knew something was up, and then we talked to him, and he lied his ass off. And I guess that's what addicts do because when he relapsed, when he, he said he had to come back to, he was living in Brooklyn, things weren't going well. I think he relapsed at one point and said he wanted to come back and stay with us, just a place to stay temporarily. And so we brought him back, and he's like, yeah, you know, I've been sober for a few weeks now. And he was so fucking convincing because he stayed with us for, I don't know, maybe a few days or a week or two. And, and he was, finds out he was getting fucked up the whole time. But he was so, like, to our faces. I mean, it, he was so, and that's how we are. You know, that's how drug addicts are. But he was so unbelievably convincing that it wasn't until he was at the point where he had, like, drank a fifth where he was so obviously fucked up that we knew that he had been getting fucked up this whole time. And then he tells me, you know, he was buying drugs online. I had to go in his car and get rid of. He had everything you could imagine. Right. And he was doing it all, like, right under our noses. And he was still that like maybe there's part of me that was like i think something's kind of going on but it's just so like he was just another level too so but that's that was really what i wanted to say before (laughs) it's like that was the last time and then he got his life back and he was succeeding way more than he had ever succeeded at this point he had finished his master's program he was living in boston he was you know, working in different places he was getting respect he was turning up in, in places where he had respect and I know for me, I mean, my um, consequences are I lose my kids, I lose my house, I don't see my kids, and, like, I mean, I don't want to get high, but, like, the idea of, of losing that, it's like, I don't want to get high, you know, I don't want to lose it. I, I, just, I, I, I just thought that with what he had lost, the consequences would be right there, but for some reason they weren't right there in his head, you know, and what, is, what do you guys think that's about so the thing that I that like kind of rattled me with it all was I mean he had time like you said he he was doing all these things and like at what point do you give a friend or somebody that you know is in recovery the benefit of the doubt you know and and that I mean that rattled me to my core like I have a lot of friends who have a, a lot of time I have some I have time and like and you get sober to acquire this freedom, this freedom to do all these things and to not be questioned constantly by, by your parents, by your significant other, and, and not have people walk on eggshells around you. And, and I, I don't know, and that's what I thought about. I'm like, I, I, I felt like Chris like 
earn that trust back. You know, it was four and a half years yeah. later. And yeah, there were some sketchy things, but, um, and that's like, that's the battle that I constantly like, like kind of live with is like, at what point do you like step in and say like, something's going on? What if something isn't going on? He's got all these other things going, like these positive things in his life. And I mean, um, I'm allowed to say this because I already asked, but uh, I mean, he did a, he did a fist step with a sponsee um, a week before he died. And um, we just did the, we just, him, his sponsee and I just did the fist step on the year anniversary of doing that, right? And we talked about that. He like, for somebody who's actively using, he was, it's not like he completely stopped doing the things. He was doing the things. Um, and like, where's where's the line where you where you step in or where you take it or you take a step back or you have that trust you know Dylan what does that make you think when you when you hear that just like like the idea like that Chris like what is that when you do a fifth step with a sponsee and you're high like what does that mean I mean I think wheels are off once you're high and you can be anything from a one-way flight to Columbia or taking a fifth step I think with Chris it was just rolling the (laughs) dice and whichever number came up was what the action was going to be right but he obviously had so much momentum going that that was going to be there's going to be like, he was going to fight till the end. Clearly he had so many things that he loved intellectually, but this whole thing makes me curious. It makes me want to conceptualize his whole trajectory and what the fuck happened. And now there's two points. There's two data points to analyze. Not that it's not that I'm right. Not that it's worth it. Not that it's whatever. It's a trivial exercise, but at the same time, it's almost like the way I see it now is it's like, yeah, I, I almost think about Chris as having an extraordinary amount of shame for some reason, in that when he showed up here, I think the source for him was the first place where he felt completely not judged and safe in a group of people. And I don't think we're necessarily an extraordinary pocket. I think he landed in a pocket that worked for him. And I know there's these pockets that are all around the country where people support each other unconditionally. And I think for him, the ability to call his pants his fat pants and for him to, like, be who he was to the <laughs> fullest essence, and with you, Dave, to be who he was in front of 10,000 people on Dopey, I think that the combinations of those were so important. But I think for someone like Chris, he, he like, the second he stepped away from that and had to put on a mask, I think that little piece of shame was, like, it was malignant within him. And it was for whenever it wasn't getting direct radiation of, like, this thing is being treated on, the, on a daily basis, his, like, his shame and his... His kind of like the, this self questioning, and I think he like, I think he saw like potentially a lot of wasted time or a lot of negative impacts on a family that was incredible. Um, I think the second that stopped being treated, that thing started to grow immediately, and then once it passes like the event horizon of his addiction, there was no coming back. So three weeks before that happened, before he died, I remember pulling him aside and being like, "Dude." Like, when he was just so busy, I had no other thing other than he looked really busy. And I was like, make sure you're, like, being honest with people about what's going on. Take time for yourself. Slow the fuck down. Stop trying to prove everything. Like, dude, just be a guy at some point here. You don't need to take over the world today. And what, and, did, he, what did he say? Yeah, dude, no, totally. I know. This just all this stuff came up. He had all the right answers, you know, which is the same shit I would say. But the best thing was, like, when, all, when, when, when the red flags all popped up, and I think a bunch of us were in those conversations, and, and, I, and I spoke to you for the first time. Or no, we spoke on the phone on Dopey. But you said to me, dude, I'm going to get in my car and drive to Boston right now. You know what I mean? And, like, it's just, like, it's crazy that, like, he, he went under the radar and we believed it. And then 
the I mean, it's like we have an audience of mostly people who use drugs or who just got out of it. And we have our friend who just died. And it's like, so this is a really, I mean, forget the fact that Chris was amazing, started Dopey, this is his show, you guys love to listen to him. This is like a study, like you're saying. It's two data points of what relapse looks like and how relapse can, can kill you. You know, it's like, I was around drugs forever and ever and ever, and it wasn't until I got sober that my friend started dying. You know, Todd was here, like, probably down the street right before, like, two weeks before he died. Chris was here all the time right before he died. And, uh, and this is the place where people come to get better. You know, I, I can't imagine the pressure that you guys are under who work with these people, you know? Like, it seems very scary and sad. I mean, I guess all the good, the, the success... I mean, like, what happens? Like, how do you guys navigate successes and failures with this thing? Alex? <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right, I'm going to sidestep that question real quick. Um, but uh, I, I was thinking about what Ted was talking about with, uh, you know, the Chris's previous relapse... Um, and, I mean, I have, I have a couple points that I wanted to make about it. Like, Chris's stories and all, all of our stories, really, like, they're, they're so funny, you know, and there's so much humor in them when we're telling them. But when they're happening, like, they just come off as sad, you know. It's just, like, super yeah. sad. And, it, um, and that was, like, a good example of it. And something that me and Chris always talked about and, like, related about was that the stories that we tell each other, we can't really, like, talk to our dads about, you know? Both of us have had a similar reaction when we kind of bring things up like that to our dads. So and it was a, it was an interesting thing that we really shared a connection over. But also, I wanted to talk about um, when Chris relapsed that time. Uh, first, the state of his car, which Ted probably can <laughs> give you more in-depth. I can give you very in-depth <laughs> yeah. into the state of his car. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, so also, so Chris was super drunk driving around like Connecticut, and uh, he reaches out to this guy who was uh, like a, a, a holistic, like mind, body, spirit, like um, person who Chris met in recovery, and he he's attempting to get this guy to trip on acid with him. And I just, I, I love thinking about that. You know, it's just like so funny that that's what he comes up with in his head when he's like cocked. You know, it's like. I'm gonna reach out to this guy and see if he gets will trip with me, you know. And um, anyway, the, the thing I love about his car, though, that in that moment was like, I mean, he wound up vomiting all over the place. But I, going through his car, he had two different sets of French fries in his car from like two separate <laughs> At fast least. food restaurants. Yeah, like like I just I, I don't know. I love that for some reason that he he just like. He was go- going to all these different fast food restaurants, like ton- like t- different kinds of French fries. Like I don't know. Yeah, what, just, were the, what were the kinds? Oh, it was Burger King and McDonald's. But it's just like you know, like I don't know why. Why do you need to have like two things of French fries? And I don't know. Well, it was also hilarious about his car is that he he had all the fries where he vomited everywhere, like projectile vomited all over the dashboard. And in order to like cover it up, he thought it was a good idea. He had a bottle of cologne. He thought it was a good idea to just literally open the bottle of cologne and just dump it in his car, like spread it everywhere, like all over the seats. That's the best. All over the car, right? So yeah, that whole night was crazy. Um, He came home. I told the story last time. We ended up like calling the police on him. But the funny thing was my car had broke down like that day. And so we took Chris to rehab. And then for the next like 
week. He told me I could use his car, and it was like the, it was the only way I could get to work. So I was literally driving his like cologne vomit infested car around for like at least a week, and then I eventually got it detailed for him. Uh, but it was yeah, it was it was cre- it was disgusting. And the funny thing about it is that even after he got it detailed for the next. I mean, I don't know, that car probably still has this in here. There's literally, like, puke, like, crusted his seek buttons to, like, you know, change stations. They were literally stuck out. Like, you had to, like, push them really hard, and you would hear, like, a crack. Because it would, like, it would kind of, like, insert, and then the puke would kind of crust off, and then it would seek. And it's just still in there. Like, all in, in between all the little cracks in his dashboard is, like, dried puke for, like, the next years. And that's, and that's the wreckage of his past, is the vomit is the wreckage of, of Chris's past. Um, Chris, but so Dylan, you said something that, that I think is interesting, the, the thing about shame. Because, like, one of the, the funniest things about Chris was, like, I guess it was a pocket where he didn't feel shame. He didn't feel shame here. He didn't feel shame on Dopey. He didn't feel shame amongst his people. But I guess there was actual shame in, in the real world, but he wouldn't talk about it as shame. In fact, we did an episode once, which I was really excited to do. It was going to be the the regret episode. And I have, like, a thousand regrets, you know, like, just the dumbest things to, to real, you know, solid regrets. And I, and I went through, like, oh, I wish I had been in a band, a better band. I wish I had thought I could sing better. I would, you know, just dumb regrets. And I said, Chris, uh, can you mention some of your regrets? And he said, I don't have any regrets, he said. And I said, Really? He said, well, maybe I wish I had been a better athlete in junior high school. That was, that was his regret. Like, and, I, and I asked him about shame, and he said he doesn't have it. And, like, do you think that was a lie, or do you think it was, like, what is it? I mean, I'm not surprised that the guy who was able to convince Ted and Colin that he wasn't getting high, and the guy that got me to, like, to not go to Boston was able to pull one over on shame. Because that's, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'm not, so, I, don't, I mean, shame is, I'd say, like, probably different than a regret. Also, there seems to have been at times. I don't. I, it manifested itself in interesting ways. Like he wasn't um, his kind of desire to not play the games that like regular people played, which I admired and we connected on in a lot of ways. Like his kind of his always getting like a four basically, but like joking about how stupid everything was and how kind of meaningless most of what he was learning is. Not that, I mean, the school was good. His favorite thing to do, like, if he did anything and it smelled like there was effort, he he felt shame about having any sort of effort. Like, if we were doing doing something, like, the show would be in a good spot. He would have to say, before we did it, he'd go, yeah, me and Dave just took a second to write a few ideas down, but we we don't really spend time on it. Or, like, if he wasn't doing well in school, he'd be like, well, I don't put enough time into it, you know? He needed to, he, it was incredibly important that nobody thought he was trying to do anything. Exactly, yeah. Chris loved, I think that Chris genuinely didn't care about a lot of things, but he also loved people to think he didn't care about anything, and I think he cared a lot more than he'd like you to believe. I think he was a really, like, pretty easygoing guy, like, you know, really, like, things didn't bother him maybe as much as they would other people, but they still definitely did. But he loved to play the card that, like, he didn't give a shit about anything. Whatevs, right? Yeah. My, my favorite, it's, like, it's so funny to me, because, like, I, 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 I met Chris when I met Colin. It was, like, what was that? Like, 11 years ago now? Eight. Eight years, eight and a half years ago in Connecticut at Mountainside. 
And, uh, and Chris and I barely spoke. You know, we, we, were, we hung out that week, and he was like Mr. Weirdo, you know, eating multiple cereals <laughs> in the bowl, big spoon, you know, big eyes. Nobody else would be in the cafeteria but him. And, uh, and then over the course of years, we would talk very sporadically. And it wasn't until that things weren't going right for him that he really, you know, became my friend. And it was in his, like, woman crisis. You know, this woman, like, broke his heart, and he was calling me every day asking me what he should do. And vulnerable Chris, like, not knowing what he should do, Chris, was, like, the best Chris because it was so real and so fun and um, just real. You know what I mean? He wasn't... He was, he was so heartbroken that he didn't have time to put on a show. And, like, that Chris was just, like... It was so amazing. And, it, and I, I was telling these guys the story, and I just want to tell the story because I think it's so funny. He was... Annie, Annie was Chris's girlfriend when Chris died. When Chris died, and you know, I talked to Annie from time to time. She's doing well. She loves Dopey. She loves you guys. Whatever. Um, before he was with Annie, he was with Annie's roommate, this woman Olga, and that wasn't even her name. That's what we just called her because he was scared of whatever. And Chris had this encounter with Olga where he didn't perform sexually, and he called me at the time. <laughs> And, uh, and I was, we were laughing about it so much, and he was, he was really bummed out about it, but he knew how funny it was. So then that week on the show, he came on the show to tell the story. And he was so heartbroken about Olga that for some reason in his sick head, he decided that if he told her to listen to Dopey, that she would fall in love with him because he was so vulnerable about her on the show. And of course, when... Uh, she listened to the show. She was like, you're fucking crazy. Get this show off the air. I, I can't have people hearing this, this intimate story about me. And, uh, and Chris wound up taking that piece off, which was like, it was literally just the funniest thing because it was him, it was him owning his shame. And, it was, and like, that was the best part of Dopey was laughing at the story that you're not supposed to laugh about almost to reclaim it. You know, like that was the idea of the show. And... Um, you know, I just, uh, I love that one. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, and and I, if it's disrespectful to anybody that hears it, I apologize. I say it only with, like, love and reverence for Chris. And when Chris was the most honest he was, he was his best. And, and he helped the most people. And he was the best friend to people. Yeah. Um, just just in light of that, like, that's that's one of the things I like, miss the most about him is that, like, that, like, he cared so much about people, but it was like in that careless fashion. Like there, there's throughout the years, there's always been like certain people I would go to with certain things. Right. They're like, like Ted is like the therapeutic, like, like just very empathetic, like advice. Dylan's very logical. Like Mark is just good for a laugh, but also very caring. Alex more like kind of a mixture of Ted and Dylan, but like, I would always go to Chris, like, I just did, like, when I didn't really need advice, I just needed somebody to, like, just lighten the mood a bit, you know, and that's what I miss, that's what I miss about so much, like, this, uh, like, this past year has been, there's been a lot of tough stuff going on um, in my life, and, like, I just miss that, like, going up to his room, sitting on his floor while he's laying down on his, uh, on his bed watching Netflix, and just, like, spilling my guts out to him, and then him just saying something stupid, like, for me to, like, just get over it, or, like, all right, let's just go get some food, like, just, like, just, like, 
not having to dive deep down in, but it's just knowing that like he cared a lot. And, um, and I just want to, I just want to like add one, like one like quick story with that. Like, um, I told, I told his parents this, or I I sent them a letter right after he died about like how, how I met Chris. We were in the same group in Mountainside. Um, I was in Mountainside. I lied about like what I was there for. I said I was there for just drinking. I was withdrawing the whole time on opiates um, stealing from pharmacies, including my family pharmacy. There was like a lot of shame behind that. I just didn't, and I wanted, I wanted to protect that desperately. I meet Chris in the smoking porch. He's telling me these crazy stories. I want to fit in. I feel I'm like, I just needed to fit in in some way. So I start telling him like kind of sheepishly about this like pharmacy scam thing that I was doing. And he thought it was hilarious. And that's, and we just had this back and forth. Colin, tell the pharmacy story. I just, I mean, I, Family owns pharmacies. I, I'd fill the scripts of dead people. Um, yeah. So I would, I would just wait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eight, nine. Um, yeah, I would, uh, I would come in every day for work with my lab coat and my shirt and tie and um, with the newspaper, read the obituaries, find the, uh, the patients or customers that would die who are on hospice. As soon as they would die, I would immediately fill their scripts and forge it that their family picked it up the day that they died. So that was like one of the ways. And what, what, was, what was Chris's reaction to that? Oh, he thought it was hilarious. And he wanted me to tell like other ways I did that. And like, I thought like, I thought this was this like smoking porch, like confidential thing. Right. So the next day we go into group and, um, and it's like, Chris is just catching a lot of heat from, from the therapist. Cause he just like, didn't give a fuck. He was just like, kind of like making fun of other people and like the the therapist like really got on him and said he was gonna send him to this all men's like christian rehab in upstate new york if he didn't like get his shit together and um and like he responded by by like saying like oh you're putting all the focus on me but you got this this kid over here who's stealing from pharmacies doesn't even fucking tell you that and I just like looked at him like like how could you do that to me? And that immediately like sent my therapist into a frenzy. Sat me down. We like added up all the time that I would do in prison. And like I fucking hated him because of that. I fucking hated him, <laughs> right. dude. Like, but he like, he like made treatment worth it for you. Oh yeah, by, I mean, by, by he, delving that totally. up. Totally. Like, I mean, in hindsight, and like I I didn't talk to him for like a week about that. And he'd always go up to me and be like, "Come on, man, come on." It was gonna come out in the wash anyway. You're gonna get arrested anyway. You get out of here. And it, it's. It saved my life, man. And, like, that was the thing. Like, there was a part of him, like, maybe it was, like, subconscious, but, like, there was a, maybe he was just cracking jokes and wanted to, like, take the heat off of him. But, like, as I got to know him more, like, he cared. He cared about other people. He he cared about, like, why he did this podcast. That's why I always pushed it, like, let's talk about recovery. And you didn't want to talk about it at all. In the beginning. Yes, yes, in the beginning. But then he got upset when I wanted it to be more about recovery. Yeah. He was, he, he, and I think, and I also think that after he died, he, he, I'm sorry, after he relapsed, he didn't want to talk about recovery at all. Mm-hmm. He was like, we're talking about too much recovery. Let's just hit him with the dopey. Let's just hit him with the dopey mm-hmm. because he was using. Um, man, that story is crazy. And uh, it also makes me think, though, I, because I, I would go to Chris with all of my problems. And I had really deep, terrible problems that he had no, like, any sort of scope of dealing with them. And he would hit me with, like, don't worry about it. And, I'd, and I, 
this is why Dopey was good. And I was like, how can I not worry about it? And I, I would keep going over and over with him again until finally he would like give me like advice based on 12 step stuff. He would give me, he would quote passages in the book that would help me. Like it was when I exhausted his laissez faire attitude that the real Chris would emerge. And it was always like so helpful. And like when I was doing well, he would really come. When I was doing badly, Chris was the best for me. And when I was doing well, he would fucking dog me for all the same stuff, which was just awesome. Yeah, totally. I think Colin just kind of summarized it pretty well. I think the, one of the best things about Chris, and I'm kind of like, I guess I've always known that, but I'm really like reflecting on it right now, is that like, yeah, you would do some, like I did some fucked up shit in my life that I was really like ashamed of. And, you know, I was new to recovery and like I, and telling that to Chris and he just thought it was so fucking funny. And like to an extent, yeah, it's kind of fucked up, but it also made me kind of like lighten up about it a little bit. You know, like I wouldn't beat the shit out of myself for like doing these horrible things, which yeah, like I needed to make amends for, but he also just, he just helped lighten the tone. Like it's just ridiculous shit. It's not who I am now. It's some shit I did in the past and he just, you know, lightened things up a lot. I, I mean, I felt like that was a big gift that he had. Um, you know, I was thinking about the the shame that Dylan was talking about, and I think about um, when he first passed. You know, I I didn't understand why he wouldn't have said something to me. You know, like or any of us, but like you know, personally, I felt like why, like I felt like we could talk about anything. You know, so why would he not? Like, if he's struggling, why would he not mention this? Um, and I think, and then like I don't know, maybe a week later, I was thinking about it, and I was like, it kind of dawned on me. I was just like, all the shit that he's been through in his life, and with all these rehabs and like, you know, tragedy, pretty much, and unsuccess, you know, um, that like he had finally, you know, he had been sober for for years. He was doing so well externally, you know, and he had so much, like he had gained that credibility that we were all talking about before, and. Um, you know, I, I, I get it. Like, it's, I feel like it's a, it's a hard and like kind of terrible truth about addiction is like the, the relapsing shame, you know, like, like how, how was he supposed to come to anyone really and be like, I fucked up again, you know, like, I just feel like that if I put myself in his position, that would be the hardest thing to do is to admit that, like, he, he wasn't doing as well as, you know, he's actually doing really bad, you know? I don't know. I just I feel like that's, like, this fucked up part about addiction recovery is that shame about not being perfect in it, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I do know what you mean. Um, I think it's, it's just, you know, this is very odd to me, and, and I also want to explain to the Dopey Nation what exactly this is. We are in Dylan's apartment on Main Street in Great Barrington. There's six of us on three mics, so we're passing the mic. So if there's any, like, audio issue, it's my fault because I don't have good enough mics, and it's... Blame me. Um, I think when it comes down... I know that if I... Whenever I went out, um, I would disappear, but I never had to answer to anybody, really. I, I didn't have to do a podcast every week. I didn't have to show up in a sober house and, and, and run it. You know, I didn't have to, like, do a fifth step with a sponsee. You know, if I, if I went out, I didn't have to answer to anybody. And, uh, and, and, I, and I know that Chris would say to me all the time with Dopey that it was kind of like something that kept him sober. 
that it was something that helped keep him sober, that it was something that he had to answer to. And, you know, I can't put myself in his shoes to say, I would have come out, I would have did this or that or the other thing. Um, I think no matter what we come up with in terms of, of what happened with him, obviously we're here because we loved him. We're here because he was uh, such a joyful, amazing, strange person <laughs> that we got to like share a little bit of our life with. It's just, it, it, it boggles my mind that his is over. You know, it, it boggles my mind. Like, yeah. I think about him on a daily basis. Like, I never would, I probably would have thought of him pretty often if Dopey hadn't happened and I had heard he relapsed because I thought he was so exceptional. Um, but now my life is totally linked to his. You know, and I never expected that. Like, like people, strangers all over the world are write me, write me about Chris, you know, every day. You know, every, and it's like, it's very, very weird. And, um, and it's just sad um, that, I guess another thing, and it's just a weird sort of metaphysical, spiritual thing, is as a human being, I feel things and I think things. And you don't, even if you know that somebody dies, you don't feel like life is ever going to end. And when somebody stops living and, and they're not around, it's just, it's just a weird thing. And somehow I didn't have this. I mean, my mother died uh, 10 years ago. And it wasn't the same kind of thing when Todd or when Chris died. It, it, it's like them not being here, it just seems so unnatural. And um, I was driving here, and I was driving very scared from uh, where my dad lives to Great Barrington because, like, I'm not a great driver and, like, it's getting dark and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to use the Bluetooth so I don't know directions and I'm holding the phone and I'm certain I will die at every turn. And, um, and we get to, uh, I get to um, Massachusetts and the rain kind of stops and it's like 7.30 so the sun's going down and, but it's really bright tonight. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was really gray all day. And we're dr- I'm driving here, and the sun's going down, and it becomes, like, super bright, like you're on a plane or something, you know, like when you go above the clouds and the sun hits you. And I look to the left, and there's this tremendous rainbow. And I'm just like, and I'm not like, you know, I'm, Chris would always say he was going to heaven, and I would kind of laugh at him. But when I saw the rainbow, I kind of was like, is that Chris? You know what I mean? Like, is Chris laughing at the fact that I'm scared to drive to Great Barrington? And also, like that Chris always wanted to do this in Great Barrington. And, and like, it wasn't going to happen until uh, he died and we have to honor him. But I think the reason it wasn't going to happen is I was too scared to drive here, frankly. <laughs> like, I'm serious. <laughs> the shit gets me nervous. Driving yeah. home, I'm fucking scared. Like, that I'm... Because that was another one of my favorite Chris stories is we were talking about... It was after Todd had died. And, um, and I, uh, I had to drive to uh, Saratoga in the middle of the night, basically, I had to drive back in the middle of the night, and I was just terrified of dying. And I would say, because Chris, every week or every month, would come to Manhattan, and he would drive home to Boston at one in the morning. And I'd be like, dude, like, how would you do that? And he'd be like, well, I would doze off, and I would get really scared, and I'd hit myself in the face, and then I would drink a Coke, and I would stop, and I'd get some coffee, and I'd kind of doze off and hit myself in the face. And there was only one way that I could stay awake, and that's if I drifted to the rumble strip, and the rumble strip would give me uh, <laughs> a, a kick of whatever you call it. Uh, adrenaline. It, it's like the most adrenaline. It's the most fucked up thing. <laughs> they, the fact that he would doze off and hit the rumble strip was the one thing that would keep him awake to drive. Like, <laughs> it's, it's fucking stupid. It's just Chris. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
Um, Mark, you haven't said anything. What do you got? What do you, I mean, you know, you love... I, I got a lot of... Give me, give me some thoughts. What do you got? Different thoughts. Um, I, I, went to the, I went to the beach last, uh, yeah, last weekend, and I was with a girl that he dated, and we were, like, in the waves, and we were, like, talking about some bigger waves, and it reminded me of this time we were in Anguilla, and we were, like, we were trying to stand up and, like, hold our ground against, like, eight-foot waves... <laughs> And, like, Chris got, like, he got, like, tossed, and, like, he landed on his ass, and he thought he ripped his ass open. He said his ass was bleeding, <laughs> yeah. he was standing on shore, and, like, I don't know. I, I thought he was serious, but he, he walked it off. But she was telling me that when he moved back to Boston and they were, like, still talking, that he was lonely. And, like, when I think, I used to think, like, he was going on to do, like, bigger and better things, get his degree, you know, do what he wanted to do, like, I didn't think much of it, but the, for for her to say that he was lonely, he missed this when, in my opinion, he was like, you know, doing things that were far cooler than this. You know what I mean? Not yeah. really, but like, it was kind of like, uh, in my eyes, it was more productive. But like, it makes just makes me think that like, maybe he wasn't happy doing that. I don't know. I, and I, I remember I saw him like maybe a week before he died, and I was like, man, I'm like that. Like that podcast is killing you. I'm like, that's too, that's too much driving. And he 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 didn't say anything about it. I forgot what he said, but it was, he kind of like shrugged it off. Like everyone was saying that he was good at like uh, avoiding the question. But he he looked he looked terrible. <clears throat> and I wish there was something I could have said. I remember when Alex told me about what happened. I was like, it, it like took my breath away. And, and this this past year, I've, I've been wondering like how you've been doing. And I haven't listened to the show as much as I'd like to, but maybe I'll start. But there's there's moments where I, I just I think of it, I think of him a lot, like at least at least once a week. I, I'm like, man, I'm like that was weird, kind of. I don't know, I don't know when and where I think about him, but it's always in my mind that he's he's not. It's 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 so weird to think that he's dead. I, I can't. Well, it's funny I can't you put my finger on it. Well, it's funny you say that. Um... You know, when he was out in Boston and he, he said he's lonely and you were thinking, like, maybe he wasn't really happy out there. And, yeah, I feel like, you know, who knows? I, I feel, you know, Chris, whenever he was, he was in school to get his, like, you know, doctorate in psychology. And I feel like part of him was just doing that because there's this, and I think a lot of us in life do that. There's just this expectation, like, oh, I can't hang around here forever. I have to go do bigger and better things. And I think some of that was going on for Chris because I would always ask him about school and he was just so uninterested in it. I would be like, so, you know, what, like 10 years from now, like, what do you want to do with your life? Do you see yourself as a therapist? He would honestly be like, honestly, like, no. He's like, I just want to, like, do dopey. Like, that's literally what he would say. It's like, I just want to, like, he didn't, like, he ne- it never felt like he had these ambitions to, like, be a clinical psychologist. He wanted, you know, he wanted to write. He wanted to do dopey. And so I feel like there was probably, I mean, my sense is that there was just some, like all of us, he had this expectation that like, oh, I can't stay here forever. I need to go and get my degree. I need to go and do this. I need to be in Boston. I need to be in New York, you know? And so uh, the night before he died, uh, me and him like weren't getting along. You know, me and him like were, we were fighting and um, like, cause he wouldn't, he wasn't driving to do dopey. Like we were, do, we did like three episodes on the phone and he hated doing episodes on the phone, but he was just like, you know, I can't do it. Then he told me he was going to take 
Annie and them to a Taylor Swift concert instead of do Dopey. I was like, what? I was like, I was so angry. And like, it, and then he was like, well, why don't you come to Boston? And I was like, well, I have a family and I can't go to Boston. We had just bought a house. We had just had a baby. I was like, I can't go to Boston. And then he was like, I know, but I don't want to be the bad guy. And then I think he was high as shit. And, and I like, you know, I'm not like, I'm not Mr. I thank God for this. I thank God for that. But that night, um, it was the night before he died. It was late at night and I was sitting on my porch and he cried to me and he said, I don't even give a shit about school. I just want to do dopey. I just, uh, I'm doing it to get letters after my name. I'm doing it to like, to please his family, to please the, the thing inside of him that felt the shame that you're talking about. It was like this crazy, and, and then again, he was all spun out. So who knows what the fuck, what, if what he was saying was true. But I do know that for me, him, he told me he loved me. He told me how much he loved the show. It was like incredibly meaningful to me. We were in all of these fucking pitiful fights about like a, like a couple, like a married couple trying to figure out how we're going to be separated and raise our kid or whatever because we can't do it. And then we had this like beautiful talk and it was like, and, and the thing was he knew that they were drug testing him the next day. And he was kind of like just making his final desperate plea kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, I, it, it trivializes it, but I, I, I always wanted to tell this little dumb story that reminds me of him. Uh, I, I never play video games on my phone, and he, except I played Word with Friends, and Chris was like, did you guys ever play Words with Friends he's, with Chris? He's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, he's, it was just, you know he's on a fucking dictionary with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was You cheap. know he, he had, he was, right? <laughs> I mean, did I don't know. He out? said he would. No, he would just like, there's like that little feature that like lets you know if you've played the most strong word possible. So he would like sit there and t- every move, to, he would just, he was doing some shit. I don't know. I, I, he was <laughs> so good at Words with Friends. He also had, had, he also had genuine, like, online words with friends friends that like he knew about their personal life it like lasted for years they would play each other he'd ask about their families it was weird he uh, also played he played uh, Clash of the Clans yeah. constantly and I was always like I need a game so when me and Chris started uh, when Dopey when, when Chris was using I started playing this game called Holio I don't know if you guys have heard of this game but the, the point of the game is you're a whole okay it's a very addicty game you're a hole, and you wander around a city sucking things up. And as things fall into you, you become a bigger hole, and you can suck bigger things into you until you can suck buildings into you, and you can suck cars into you, and you can suck parks there you into go. you. And I remember I, was, I had put my daughter to bed, and, uh, and I was, she was asleep, and I was lying next to her playing this hole game where I'm sucking down buildings, and Chris is texting me, like, what a dick I am that I won't go to Boston. And it was just, there's something about it that was just, I don't know. Like, it was so, that's a crazy metaphor, this whole thing. And, and I don't know what I was going to say. In, oh, yeah. And I don't remember what I was going to say in the first place. But I, but I, 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 just, I just know that, um, I don't know what the fuck I was going to say. What was I talking about? Do you remember? I'm not sure. I do have a story. Thank you. Please like save share. me. Save me. Kind of change gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about if I was going to share this or not. And, um, you know, since Chris died, I think about him all the fucking time, like constantly thinking about him, thinking about funny shit that we would have cracked up at, you know, thinking, oh, Chris would have loved this, Chris would have loved that, as I'm sure all you guys do. And I, I have dreams like multiple nights a week with Chris and them. I'm always fucking thinking about him. 
And uh, I mean, I'm a pretty spiritual person. And so there's this store in Great Barrington called Crystal Essence. And they sell like crystals and spiritual books and all, all sorts of like silly shit. Kind of cool shit, but it's sort of silly shit. And um, Chris and I used to go in there all the time. And so it was like we'd go in, we'd look around. And so it kind of had this like, you know, we, we loved Crystal Essence. It was a cool thing to do when you're in early recovery. And I saw a few months ago that there was, I got an email because I had bought something from there years ago signed up for their email list, and um, that there was, like, a medium coming in. And, you know, she does, you know, she contact the afterlife, whatever. And so, you know, it's something that I've always been sort of, like, fascinated by, somewhat skeptical of. Chris and I went to a psychic one time, one time in New York, and it was, like, total bullshit. So, like, I know that there's, like, total bullshit out there. I've also just been fascinated about it. And so I was, like, after debating for a while, I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like, I'm going to sign up and and go to this medium and just see what happens. And so... A big motivation of that, you know, my dad passed away when I was younger. My stepdad passed away a few years ago, and Chris had obviously just passed away. And so, like, a major motivation of that was to see if I could go to this medium and, like, talk to Chris. And so it was – I don't know how much in-depth I'm going to go, but, I mean, I guess there's some bits of it I want to share. You know, I certainly went into it with, like, somewhat skeptical, with a grain of salt, just like, you know, kind of what is this, and – we sat down, she kind of took me through this whole procedure of like, you know, think of a few people to, you know, call to your mind that you want to make a connection with. And I was definitely like somewhat kind of had these like walls up, kind of like, who is this lady? What's her deal? And so like... Was your plan to do your dad, your stepdad, and Chris? Yes. My plan was my stepdad, my dad, and Chris. So she said, think of three people. And so, you know, I was like, I was, as I was doing this, I'm like, you know, I'm going to give this like a total shot. I'm going to try and just like trust myself and just like see what comes up. If it's bullshit, it's bullshit. But you know, whatever, I'm going to come in with an open mind. Because I think if you ever go into something like that convinced it's bullshit, you're only going to see evidence that it's bullshit, right? And so I, I tried to keep a total open mind, and, um, you know, I thought of, yeah, Chris, my dad, my stepdad. And so, you know, she takes me through a little breathe, you know, take a few deep breaths, um, and then she pulls out this little tarot deck, I pull a little card, she starts saying some shit. Then all of a sudden, she, like, literally out of nowhere is like, okay, so I'm making... She's like, somebody wants to come through. I forget her exact words, but she basically was like, do you have, and I didn't tell her who the three people I wanted to talk with were. I just had them in mind. She's like, did you have a friend who died accidentally? And I was like, well, I was like, my friend Chris, you know, he, uh, he overdosed, and she you know, instantly started talking all about it. And so again, like, just take like, this with a grain of did salt. Did he have pants he called did his he have- <laughs> eating pants? <laughs> no, didn't ask that. Um, but she went into like all, you know, she, right off the bat, she was like, and it's, it's hard for me to even talk about this. It really is because like it's super personal for me. And, you know, I know there's some people who are like, this is to- total bullshit. But again, I'm just trying to keep an open mind. She was, you know, went into, she was saying that, you know, he wants you to know it was a, a total accident. It didn't expect to happen. She went into all sorts of detail about like, um, sorry, it's just, it's just hard talking about this and like remembering all, all the details. But, um, you know, she was, was saying that, she, that he, you know, it was a total accident and that, you know, he feels he let all sorts of people down. But at the same time that there was like some like higher purpose going on for like why this happened. And it was a lot my brain was sort of like tuning a lot of this out. So I was kind of like in the state of like, what the fuck is she telling me right now? And then she started going into like, she, she started asking me, randomly she was like was he into um pets and I was like was he into animals and I was like I don't really know and she's like well I'm getting and then I was like well yeah actually he was she's like I'm seeing with him a cat right now and Chris was for you guys who know Chris he was like a huge cat guy right and so and then she was saying that and I'm really allergic to cats and so last time I was in Boston with Chris he had a cat in his family's house and um Blackie, Blackie, Blackie. yes and um, he had a cat, and, and she was 
Chris, and I'm super allergic, and so, and he knew that, and so like as I'm sleeping, he's like, oh, let me go get you a blanket and a pillow, and he like hands it to me, and it's like covered in cat hair, and he thought he thought it was the funniest thing ever. He's literally like hysterically laughing, and it just became this inside joke with us that he was like, I'm gonna get the stuff that's covered in cat hair for you, and so he'd always like allude to like, oh, there's cat hair all over that couch. And like anytime I went on a trip with him, he's like, oh, there's cat hair on that bed. You know, there's cat hair on that pillow. Just because like fuck with me. And so this woman, and again, I'm sorry for not being clear because it's it's sort of like a blur. I was literally sort of in this like weird, like, is this bullshit? Is this real? I don't know. But I did feel this kind of like comforting sense as she was, you know, t- you know, talking about Chris. But she's like, I'm I'm seeing um I'm seeing him and I'm seeing him brushing dander and laughing and I was just like oh my god I swear to god like I didn't tell this woman anything and she was like I'm seeing him like she's like I have a vision of um, him brushing hair and laughing and she kept going into like how great of a sense of humor he had and how wonderful of a person he is and he wants us to know that he is he is he's not here but he's like out there and he's like doing his thing and his soul is on it was like really heavy out there shit that was like hard for me to take in and, um, and she went into all sorts of more shit about, like, my dad and my stepdad, shit that, like, I, I couldn't have possibly, that she couldn't have possibly known. Like, she, like I, can, I don't feel like going into so much detail. If you have questions about it, I'm happy to go into it, but, like, it was wild. It seemed incredible. I was legitimate. sobbing. Like, right. it was really, like, to the point, and again, I've probably, like, as I listen to this, I'm probably going to be like, oh, my God, there's so much I fucking left out, because I'm kind of, like, nervous talking about this, but, like, I was literally, like, sobbing throughout the whole thing, and she was relaying all these messages, and all this stuff about Chris and all this stuff about my dad and all this stuff about my stepdad. It was such, like, a powerful moment for me that, like, made me, like, for me personally, like, validation that, like, kind of like what Alex was saying earlier about, like, you know, his molecules out there and sort of, like, the, the rainbow thing. Like, I have moments all the time where I'm like, oh, that's fucking Chris. Like, I really do. I frequently will, like, feel things and I just get this sense that, like, I have this connection to him. I don't know. It's It's really personal, but, like... That was a really, like, powerful moment for me that opened my mind up to, like, some out-there shit. Right, and there's no... I mean, it's crazy. Like, I... I like, I'm kind of scared of the idea of going to a medium, and I'm going to yeah. be, like, so yeah, it was, cynical. Yeah, it, it was weird, dude. Like... Yeah, yeah but it sounds, it sounds incredibly powerful. I, I, I tend to, like, be walking down the street and see somebody that kind of looks like him or, or see... All these people I see look like him and Todd all the time. And I think, oh, my God, like, it could just be them. Or, like, I'll be at work, and, and Chris and Todd used to come to my job all the time, and I could just imagine them coming in, and, like, they're not going to come in uh, again. But, like, the idea of, like, I, I hate the medium thing because, like, maybe you spoke to one who has the gift. You totally. Know? I mean, no, like, there's some bullshit out there. You know, and, it's know. Like, and they fucking get over on people's suffering, yeah. and that fucking really disturbs me. But, um... Obviously, like, I would love to, to talk to Chris. There was somebody, there was a listener in the show who had gone to see a medium, and, uh, and she said that the medium was talking to Chris to her. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. I was like, I, I got angry at her. I was like, I don't want to fucking hear about it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, why would Chris be talking to this woman? But, like, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe Chris is just talking to fucking mediums all day. Maybe that's yeah. what he's doing now. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, on the fucking press circuit for fucking mediums everywhere. <laughs> I could see him doing that and laughing <laughs> oh, his ass off, God. you know? Um, you know, Dr. Drew's wife, uh, who I, like, who all of a sudden, like, I'm kind of friendly with, is, like, this big into the paranormal medium world. We could do something with her if we wanted to try. I mean, I don't know. 
That, yeah, it, it was heavy. Like, it was really heavy. Funny, though, is Chris, you know, Chris was somewhat into it. Like, Chris went to a medium, I remember, like, years ago. And um, he might have even been over the phone. I can't remember. He got referred to some woman who was apparently supposed to be really good. And it, I mean, it turns out it was total bullshit. But funny story is that she was saying to him, because Chris at the time didn't have a girlfriend. And he was, like, he was, like, really, like, you know, wanted a girlfriend. He's asking this medium, like, you know, when am I going to get a girlfriend? When am I going to meet somebody? And, she, and she, her answer was... Within the next six months, you are going to meet somebody who has green eyes, skinny fingers, and has a G in their name. And so Chris, at that point, was literally on a pursuit to, like, find skinny-fingered, green-eyed girl with a G in her name. He'd be, like, on Tinder. Yeah, like, no. Yeah, well, what's the denominator of your exactly ring finger? He, it, became, yeah, it became, like, a, a running joke. Like, he'd be like, oh, I'm, like, talking to this girl. I'm like, how slender are those fingers? <laughs> I like, remember, not slender I remember him meeting girls on Tinder. And no joke, asking, I'd be with him when I was hysterically laughing. He'd be like, Do you have skinny fingers? Well, the funny thing about that is, you know, the girl thought Chris was like hung up on finger size, not that, <laughs> oh, not yeah. that he saw a medium. Right, right, right. I love that. That's so funny. Um, fucking, anybody have like a, a classic uh, Chris story that they didn't tell that they, that, that, like, that was on the, the back of their heads? Alex? No? You're letting me down, Alex? Come on, Alex. No, I'm going to pause it. I'll tell a story about myself. Um, so, I, Chris really liked this story. Good. Um, and I don't know, I was thinking about it the other day. Um, so, I, I got sober really young, but anyway, I was like. How old were you? When I got sober, yeah. I was 18. All right. How um, old are you now? I'm 25. Right. So, I remember I went, when I was 18, I was still getting high. Um, I remember. I was I was such a mess. I was dating this girl. Um, I was on Long Island, where I'm from, where my parents live, and I was at my parents' house. You know, like I was with them. I think it was like on school break or something. And uh, you know, everybody like my parents. This girl, like I'm, I'm not getting high or anything, right? Like that's what I'm telling them anyway. Um, I. At this time, was I was taking a ton of LSD. I was like, almost every day, just like dropping out, you know. And um, I fucking came up with this plan. Like, you know, my friend texted me. He's like, "I'm good," you know. Like, I was, uh, I was really excited, right? Like, um, so I go over to his house. Um, I tell my parents I'm going to hang out with the girl. I tell the girl I'm. I can't go out, you know, I'm stuck at home kind of thing. Um, and I go to this guy's house, and we start getting fucked up. Um, we're just, like, it was ripping his bong. Like, I eat a few Zanny bars, like, you know, and um, and then he, like, breaks out the LSD, and, you know, I take a couple hits, and um, and I'm really excited. My whole, my whole purpose was to, like, get the LSD and then, like, leave, you know? It wasn't, it wasn't to hang out with this guy. I didn't particularly like hanging out with him. And anyway, he's like, so after we're, I'm kind of fucked up and we're about to trip, um, and I'm I'm trying to make my exit. He's like, oh, I just gotta like make this deal real quick, like you know, two seconds, like we'll be in and out kind of thing. He takes me to this crack den, right, and like we're just getting wicked fucked up. I'm like kind of freaking out because I'm starting to trip, and like we're just in this like really sketchy place. Um, and I get this call from my girlfriend, and she's and, like, I look at my phone, like I have like, you know, like. 
10 missed calls from her, like 10 missed calls from my parents, and I'm tripping balls. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I, so I, I, I call her back, and like she's like yelling at me on the phone, and I'm like, I'm all fucked up. And I'm just like, well, like, you know, like maybe you, like, I work it out so she's gonna pick me up. And so I like leave those, I leave the house, I, I go wander away to the street where she's gonna pick me up. And I remember I was tripping so hard, and I was, I was on this road. It was, uh, it was kind of a busy intersection, but it was, like, it was really late. It was, like, 1 in the morning or something, and um, the road was just empty. And I, I had this feeling in my head. It was totally, like, just a thing from tripping. It was just, like, this was the last road in existence kind of thing. You know, like, that's what I thought. And I remember telling Chris that and he just loved that so much you know that would always like come up later in our conversations you know it's like this is the last road ever you know kind of thing um and that was yeah I don't know that, that was just I he loved that story I was thinking about it earlier um wait that reminds me and, re- and then I'll shut up because I've been talking a lot that reminds me Chris loved this story one time I was tripping and I had this big set of headphones on and you know those pictures of, like, there's, like, posters that used to be really popular of, like, apes wearing, like, headphones? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? Okay, so I had one in my, it was in college, in my dorm. And I remember, like, just tripping balls with these giant headphones on. And, I, and Chris used to love this. He would just crack up every time I told him this. And I remember thinking, I was, like, really in, like, deep thoughts. Like, I wonder how God views me. And then I, like, look up at this ape wearing these same headphones I'm wearing. And I was like, what the fuck? And, like, Chris just thought that shit was the funniest thing in the world. That. That, is, that is too funny. Fucking Chris, Chris loved tripping more than anybody. Uh, that, that was his thing, like... When I was sober and he was in the in the halfway house, he was like, and I don't even know why he called me because like he knew I was sober and he knew like what I was doing and he was like, it's like Dave, you want you want to take some acid with me? And I was like, no, I don't want to take acid. He's like, all right, we'll just get some dope. Fuck it, we'll just get some dope. And I was like, dude, we can't get fucking dope. Um, I want to read this email I got, um, and it's not particularly uh, pertinent to this conversation, but I wanted to read an email while we were on it. And uh, what the hell? Anyway, so this woman writes, Hi there. I started your podcast last week, and I started from episode one, currently on episode 55. I stopped going to meetings in 2008 after having one year clean because the fellowship in my area felt fake and forced. It's been hard to discuss my time using with anyone who has never been there. I think most addicts in recovery often fall into a holier-than-thou headspace, while the others end up in a dark and twisted sense of humor. I ended up being gifted with the latter and now have a pretty fucked up sense of humor. Where I find humor in my dark and dangerous past, others seem shocked and horrified. It's been really nice to find other addicts who can laugh about the past. Meeting rooms were always such a pissing contest, who is the worst, while also being able, uh, being sure to tell people not to laugh at their past because it could only glorify the war stories and drug use. I also love that both of you are super intelligent. Often addicts are looked at as being uneducated and dumb, and it really isn't the case most of the time. Do normies understand the amount of scheming and planning it takes to be a functional addict? LOL. Or as Chris would say, lol. Uh, if anything, most of us could take our, fake our own deaths and get away with it. Anyways, I'm sorry about Chris. It's lovely hearing his voice on the show. What a fun and lighthearted man. Keep it up, Dave. I appreciate everything. From California, Katie. Um, which, I, you know, it's a beautiful email. Thank you, Katie, for writing it. Um, 
and you guys are around this stuff all the time. Like how how important are is regular meeting attendance? Like is that is, like I mean, for me, I know that when I don't go to meetings, like, my whole fucking... I, I go crazy. I start thinking about stupid stuff all the time. I need to go to meetings to stop thinking about stupid stuff, basically. Uh, and I think Chris Chris stopped going, and he would always talk about how he wouldn't... He stopped sharing at meetings because he was scared that if he was sharing at meetings, all he was trying to do was either, like, pick somebody up, make somebody laugh, outdo somebody, sound smarter than the, the smartest person. Like, how does... Uh, meetings work for you guys. Uh, do you still go to meetings? Still? Yeah, for sure. And like, what do you what do you take away from from that thought? So to tie it into to tie it into something Colin said earlier that really hit me, which like exemplify kind of my favorite parts of Chris, which is that like, so in the in the in the in, in like the industry or the world of helping and just like the the atmosphere of being kind to people. There's, like, it's great to be brilliant, and, like, I do try to hone myself to understand recovery material to be that much more helpful and useful and whatever and intelligent. Um, but Colin was talking about just going into Chris's room and lying there. And I was, like, picturing, a, like, a time-lapse video because I used to do that. I used to just go into Chris's room and just lie on the floor. I would just, like, barge myself in and just lie on his floor next to him. He'd be vaping watching Star Trek. Sometimes he wouldn't even <laughs> say anything. I'd get a call and leave, and that was it. And there was the ability Chris had. He was clearly smart. He was clearly funny. But above all, he, like, held space for you in a way that I admire so much and that, like, I really kind of want to pursue. And so similarly, my experience in meetings, there's, like, some kind of energy I just get when I'm just there, when I'm just amongst people who I know understand me and don't judge me. There's just, like, such value in that. And then it happens, similar to Chris, and I think I want to backtrack for a second, too, where Chris did love school. There was, like, an element of him that fucking loved picking yeah. apart psychology. He loved being, like, oftentimes he loved pushing against what they were teaching him. But at the end of the day, he, lo- he needed to be cognitively stimulated. Like, he did, and he loved it. And there was clearly, like, two parts of him. One part that wanted to do dopey and right and fucking eat Ben and Jerry's. And there was another part of him, though, that did want to be an academic and wanted to dive deep into this stuff and thought it was really interesting. And, like, his favorite movies were all metaphysical, and he loved spirituality. And that's why acid was his favorite fucking drug because he was so bored with this three-dimensional bullshit that he wanted seven dimensions and fucking rocketed into those dimensions and like you know that's what he wanted he was so bored with like mundane existence so for me meetings offer me all of that they offer me security they offer me like a feeling of just like i'm home anywhere i am in the world i walk in and i hear the preamble and my blood pressure goes down by 30%. Right. I also understand that's me, and, like, not everybody's going to have that exact experience, and I don't, like, care if you go, necessarily. I care about you, so I hope you do take care of yourself. I understand. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, that's another thing that, like, Chris and I would talk about, and it's something that, you know, it's something that's hard for me to say on the show because we reach, you know, addicted people and people who struggle and stuff, and, and I always, especially lately, especially in the wake of all the deaths, I say... When people say, well, what can you do for somebody? I always say, like, there's nothing you can do, really. You know, you can... I think the way you describe Chris, what Chris did for you guys, just being... And that's why he would have been an amazing clinician, even if he didn't think he would have been. His off... I mean, once he got past trying to prove himself, he would have been just a magnet for everybody and a safe space for everybody to be able to to say anything. Because even... And even if he didn't have an answer besides, like you better get your shit together or, like, let's get something to eat. 
once he got through the the bullshit, he would have hit something that would have just made you feel like you were a part of. And Chris knew that more than anything with meetings was that once somebody told him they were happy, he was there. He was like, what a, what a great thing. Somebody wants me here. And I know that you guys provided that for him in his life where he didn't have that in his life. Like, I, I you know, I, I didn't know Chris. I don't think I knew Chris as well as you did, or at least I wasn't as close with him for as long as you guys were. But I did spend a ton of time with him in the last few years, and I did really listen to him. And when he would talk about his friends, he didn't talk about anybody besides you guys. You know, and what that tells me is that before... Unless, am I wrong? I mean, he didn't really talk. I mean, did he tell you guys about old friends? Mm. Yeah, here and there. I mean, it was more more stories, like, about things that happened, you know, and, like, other people were involved. Right, but I'm saying, like, when, when he went here, it was like you guys found him, and he found that he was valuable to you guys, and he was part of it. And it's like when you talk about different pockets of the country, and that this one just happened to be the one that was right for him, that's that's the truth. Um, and um, I just think that um, that I get scared that there is nothing that anybody can do for anybody. But then when I say what I just said, that's that's the answer. That you can just be there for them and hope for the best. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe that. I think there's a lot we can do for each other. Well, good because that's your business. Well, I mean, that's your life. Yeah. You know, I I I, I try. Um, I just have this sad kind of feeling like that somebody slips away, gets too much of a fucking chemical, and they're gone forever. You know, like what a scary, scary, grim reality that is. And it's not the nice kind of lighthearted, uplifting message I want to put on Dopey. It's just a shame because that's what happened in this scenario. Well, also look at the village that it took to get Chris back when he relapsed in New York. It took fucking, what, is there 40 people involved in him getting back in to treatment? All of whom spent like days of their lives in pursuit of his being safe again, which he ultimately was, against every single this, like bone in his body. He did not want any of it. Yet, he wound up being like, thank God everyone helped me. And he had a real shot. It didn't end up, I mean, we got another four and a half years out of it. But like, he could have had another 75 years. Like, who knows? Because of Ted and Colin and all the people that showed up in his dark, and especially his family too. His family's been nothing but like the most supportive throughout his entire journey. And they're an incredible like pe- group of people. Yeah. And like, if it wasn't for their like unwavering support, he would have been dead at fucking eighteen, over and over again. You know, and they and they and this is going to sound like, and you're not going to want to hear this, but I'm going to say it anyway. When they go to you to do the eulogy, like, what does that do to you personally? That well, well, fa- I mean, the one thing that helped was that Matt, it, uh, that uh, people in his family were also doing his brother and sister both also said something so I knew I understood my role which is to represent like this small group of us here and then I'm probably just like the oldest so I wound up being the one chosen but uh you're very well spoken to Dylan you're our leader come on bro <laughs> you're the leader I leader <laughs> no, but, but what, what, what is it to be that you know what I mean like yeah. and, and he was you know your sponsee your friend your brother basically yeah. Yeah. and you're the person to represent it like what is it what does it do to you like what does it make you feel well, I mean, fear, honor, gratitude, a and you, lot of, like a lot of fear, but... I know that thousands of people who listen to it on our show were so moved, and they never saw you, they never saw him, so your words, like, really did something. You know, they provided amazing comfort, and it was... I mean, my dad was there, and he was blown away by it. So, like, it's, it's meaningful, and it's like... 
it's just so sad, you know, like our deal. You know, all of us are afflicted. You know, all of us could have died whenever we could have died, and we didn't. And now we're better for it, and we can help the next person. But not everybody gets that opportunity, you know? And some people get it, and then it doesn't work. Right. So, like, how do you, how do you make sense of it? You don't. You don't? That's it? You're going you're gonna to go dead on me on the stupid show? <laughs> what the fuck? I have a, I have a weird, um, like, Chris story with meetings. Uh, the, it was a few months after he passed, and I spoke at a meeting local to here, and this kid was sharing afterwards, and he was like, um, he was talking, he's, you know, he said that he could relate a lot and all this stuff, and then he was like, you know, I was at this same meeting like a year ago, and this guy spoke, and he was, like, bringing the house down. Everybody loved him. Everybody was laughing. He's like, and I wasn't really, like, feeling them, you know? And, like, and then a sponsor of mine came up to me after the meeting and was like, that was Chris. You know, isn't that so weird? That is weird. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think just to answer your question, like, how do you make sense of it? I think it's really fucking hard, and I think that it's different for different people. And I feel like, like I said, you know, I brought this whole thing up with a medium. Like, for me personally, like, I just have a faith that there's, like, more to reality than we know. And that, like, that things, like, you know, the whole quote, like, God works in mysterious ways. Like, I just, I believe that. I believe that there's a a higher level of, like, reality going. I think that things happen for a reason, and we just don't often know those reasons. And yet it sounds like, why the fuck did Chris die? I have no idea. But I just, I genuinely have this faith that there's much more that we don't know and we couldn't possibly know, and that it works out in the way it's supposed to. And I know that's it's hard for me to say, because, like, why are my friends supposed to die? I have no fucking idea. But I just do have this faith that, like, some... I don't know what it is. I don't know what the lesson in it is. I'm, I'm really... I'm still trying to figure that out, but I believe that there is one. Yeah, I think... Um, like, to talk about, like, meetings, and, like, you mentioned something about, like, Chris getting in his own head about, like, sharing in meetings and, like, sharing with like trying to look good or impress somebody or whatever. But like I've talked about Chris so many times in meetings for the past year. And like when I talk about him, that stuff goes away because it's so genuine. The feeling of like our friendship and our connection, my entire sobriety. Um, and then the loss that, that I felt that like, whenever I bring him up, there's like all these emotions. Like a a lot of times when I'm able to talk about him in meetings, like there is this like sense of like peace and like happiness. And like, it like channels me to be like as genuine as possible about the message that I'm sending. So it's almost like, I don't know. I believe that like, there's this like energy transfer, like when Chris passed away that like, transfer to all of us where you're continuing to do dopey right you're continuing to talk about him to process it and it's like all this stream of consciousness and and i hope and and i know it's the case for me where like it can kind of like self like disappears and i like put that energy into like thinking about him and channeling a message that can hopefully help somebody else and that's and like i think of it that, that way like that like it's almost like a responsibility, but it doesn't even feel like a responsibility to keep on, like, passing that along. No, I know? know what you mean. People say that to me all the time, and I don't ever feel like it's, like, a, like a responsibility. I feel yeah. like it's what I have to do. And I feel like, I mean, I do dopey because I love to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted to do it before it ever happened, and when he died, like, 
there was no question in my mind that I was going to keep doing it. But what shocked me was how his death affected so many sick people. And, like, it, it really did help so many sick people. And it's like, I don't, you know, I would trade all of them for him. You know what I mean? Because I'm fucked up, you know? And, like, I just, I miss him. And I miss, like, I miss how safe we used to, Dopey was really safe when me and Chris would do it. We'd sit in an apartment, eat food, have a, a, a stack of chocolate, laugh at every dumb thing we had done, close the shit, he'd drive home and fucking get a, you know, hit the rumble strip and, and get whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like that was our life. And it was like, somehow it was safe, you know, and when he died, Dopey wasn't safe anymore. Dopey was like this site of this, of this death and, and, and multiple deaths. And, um, and I, I do it because it's still fun. It's, it's important to me because I'm sober and I was a drug addict for so long that drug addicts know that uh, a drug addict can be sober, that a drug addict can be in recovery. That a dr- I, I love my life. You know, I love my life sober. My life is way, way more fun sober than it was high. I get way higher sober than I ever got high. I just do. Like, it's like, it's amazing. You know, my, it's like, and I, if I heard somebody saying this shit before I got clean, I would have thought they were lying. But, um, and, and I know that when Chris was at his best, he felt exactly the same way. And he would say it in such a, an awesome way on the show. He would say, if recovery sucked, I wouldn't fucking do it. He would be like, if this wasn't good, if, if I wasn't going to be happy, joyous, and, and whatever, it was restless. He said, if I was going to be restless, irritable, and discontent, I wouldn't do it. And then it, it, you know, it conjures, conjures that kind of face of him when he was restless, irritable, and discontent. And I'm, I'm twisted. I want to put a nice bow on this thing and say his death makes other people better. But I go back to, like, why did it have to happen to him? And it's like, like you said, it's a stream of consciousness. It's like there is no easy answer. He, he is our friend, and he had to die. And, and, like, and that's just the way it is. And, like, I think the most important thing for, for me is, is, I mean, I stay sober because I like it. I stay sober because I wasted the first 41 years of my life, basically. And I'd like to live to a nice age where I had a good chunk of time where I could do things that I like to do. Um, I don't know. I love Chris, and I wish he could have done it too, but that's not the way it's going to happen. And, and Dopey is about you know, the truth about addiction and, and not a highfalutin truth, just sort of a bottom-line truth. You know, Some people don't make it, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it isn't. But um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think we covered a lot of ground. If there's anything that anybody like, hasn't said that they wish they had said, say it now. Um, oh, yeah, we should call Ryan. Hold on. Thank you. Before we call Ryan, Colin has another story. Stories, stories are the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah. So if anybody has a story, I mean, Dylan came with the crazy stories. Mark, if you want us to tell a story, please do. Colin. Give us this, Ted has to protect his life, which I don't blame him. <laughs> Colin, give us a story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just running off the theme of uh, some of these guys who told stories that Chris loved, loved to hear. Um, Chris always loved this one. Um, I don't know. He just, like, loves stories about, like, strippers and prostitutes. Um, I, so, like I, said, like I said earlier, I used to steal from pharmacies, and... Um, I had, uh, I befriended this woman who was probably like 15 years older than me. Um, we used to buy Coke off of her and she was a stripper. She was an old, 
She was like an older, she was like a 36-year-old stripper. So she was like pretty, like veteran stripper. Um, and we'd always used to, uh, me and my friend Pete, we'd always used to hang at her house. Um, and we, she almost become, became this like motherly figure. I never, like, I, I like lost contact with my family on and off for, for years. And I was using, and um, I don't know, she took us in. And uh it got to the point she didn't have a license. She got a DUI, so I'd always drive her to the strip club out, out in Springfield. And um, there's this there's this one point where like she she like made this like kind of bargain with me. She's like, "I'll give you a deal on coke if if there's any way you can get me steroids from the pharmacy." So I was like, "I'll see what I can do." It took like a few weeks because of my system. I had to like find ways to do that. So I ended up like I ended up like giving this old stripper steroids, um, like an- like anabolic stuff. Um, I think it was like Winstrol or something like that. And she would give me deals on coke. Um, so we formed this bond. And um, one night we were all at her house, and I knew that she had a husband, but like. I didn't, I didn't know until after like where he actually was. Uh, he was in prison, and she gets a call, and all of a sudden she's in the kitchen and she's just like jumping up, and down, screaming, super excited, and she looks at me and Pete, and she goes, "You're not gonna believe this, but my husband's out and he's five minutes away." And Pete and I look at each other. I mean, I'm I'm like 20 years old. I'm like, oh my god. And she's like, I can't wait for you to meet him. He's going to love you guys. It's going to be great. We're going to party. And I drove, I drove there with the pharmacy delivery, man. And this dude walks in. And so just to give a little background, this dude was a former SWAT team guy who was, like, who was taking off the top. He was, like, busting guys, taking the drugs, reselling them on the street. He got caught, made, like, news all over upstate New York. I didn't know any of this. Sue walks in, he's like 6'5", an absolute machine. And he doesn't even say hello to her. Like, she's jumping all over him. He looks at both of us, and he just looks, like, directly at me. And he was like, who has the pharmacy van out, outside? And I just, like, raised my hand. I'm like, I do. And he was like, you get me Oxy? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, get me Oxy right now. And Pete and I literally jump up and, like, run outside. And I look at Pete. I'm like, we need to get the fuck out of here. We get in the van. And he's, he's standing outside and getting – and then gets back into the truck that he pulled up in and follows us. So for the next, like, ten minutes, Pete and I are panicking, just driving all through these back roads. It's actually right where you're going to be driving. And we ended up, like, losing this guy and um, luckily, I get away. I didn't get him any oxy. I was like terrified. I never went back. Like I saw that woman like years later. Um, he ended up like getting arrested because for attempted murder, trying to kill, like, trying A to young kill her. Pharmacist in the street. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Chris just like loved loved that story just because it involved like an old stripper. <laughs> well, I think the fact that I mean the story is like, Colin basically had to wait until some people died so he could get anabolic steroids in exchange for coke from a stripper. I mean, that right there is just like the most ridiculous scenario ever. Yeah, that's what Dopey's supposed to be. That's what Dopey's all about right there. That's the whole thing. Um, let's see what, let's see, here, Ryan, let's see here, graphic design Ryan's final two cents on uh, the first anniversary of Chris's death. And next year I'm going to be here on the same day, so I hope you guys can cool. deal with that. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, bro. 
Hey, Ryan. Hey, man. So you're on the show. Oh. Welcome back. What's up, Dopey Nation? So, Thank you. So, What's up, Ryan? Ryan. Oh, hey, boys. Hey, Ryan. So, so Dopey Nation, if you don't remember, way, way... When, Ryan, when's the last time you were on Dopey? Oh, God. I was... I feel like I was, like, the 10th guest or something. But you were on, like, three in a row or something. Ryan... First of all, Ryan created created the Dopey logo, both versions. He did the Christmas logo. He did the July 4th logo. He's, he's not called graphic design Ryan because he isn't a, a, a great graphic designer. But, but also, you were on the first episode where Todd called in, and Todd didn't know he was on the show, which might be my favorite episode. Do you remember That's that? Right. Oh, man. So, well, my, favorite, my favorite part about that episode was that you, uh, Todd was... Todd was likely strung out and uh you're like well ryan's here and ryan's a recovery coach yeah <laughs> so you should coach todd yeah yeah and then just left it up to me and i was like what the fuck uh hi todd what am i yeah he wasn't what going am I supposed to do with this yeah, he wasn't going for it um no, he, was not. he wasn't sold so here we are um we're we're winding down on the anniversary of chris's death episode and uh, I just wanted to see if you had a story about Chris or any kind of uh, insight you wanted to depart us with. Uh, I mean, I, you know, here's the funny thing about what I think my relationship with Chris was, is that I'm like probably everyone who's in that room with you guys right now, is I didn't spend a ton of time with Chris one-on-one. You know, by the time I got to... Uh, by the time I got to Phase 4, he was already gone. I never lived with him. By the time I got to Great Barrington, you know, he was kind of already on his way out. And So what's interesting to me is, like, when I'm replaying how much, how deeply I cared about him, it's partly because I can just sense, you know, how big of a loss he was, it is to the world that he's gone. You know, because... I cared about him deeply, even having not spent a ton of time in proximity to him. Well, I know uh, that it, I know it, that Chris, like whatever the the nature of your relationship was, he thought to bring you down. He thought to include you in everything, and he, you know what I mean. It was like he obviously thought a lot of the relationship. No, no, absolutely, as did I. But just my point being, like I don't really have a lot of Chris stories. I didn't spend a ton of time with him. I talked to him, and and I felt you know. I think we were close, of course, but he just had that way of disarming you. And, and, you know, it was very easy to get to feel very comfortable and very close with him very quickly. Yeah. You know, totally. so, yeah, it's, he was an enigma, man. He was. He was. And that's, that's going to do it. Unless anybody else has anything they want to yell at Ryan about. Anybody want to yell at Ryan about anything? Uh, um, turn your phone off. All right, Ryan. Maybe tomorrow. I'm trying. Anyway, thank you for calling in. Um, let's just call it the end of the show now. So everybody, uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and uh, fucking toodles for Chris. Right? Toodles. 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 All right. Thanks, Ryan.
good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road, however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to 